out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, Welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This month, we finish out the month of Shocktober, our horror movie marathon at the time of Halloween, looking at the film Halloween. I usually make a joke right now about how Halloween is about something other than Halloween, but it's kind of that thing. Yeah. It is uh, sometimes thought of as the uh, beginner of uh, the spate of holiday-themed slasher films, your Friday's the 13th, your April Fool's Day, although there is a film, Black Christmas, which is a couple years previous, but less known and uh, acknowledged, but it it is all part of that sort of thing. So um, insert your own joke here. Let's go ahead and move on, though, and identify the disembodied voices having the conversation with me about this film. To my left, sir, who are you? Hi, my name is Caleb Masters, and Dustin, it's Halloween. Everyone's entitled to one good scare. Yes, very good, very good. Uh, Ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and I hate a guy with a car and no sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very good. My name is Dustin Sells, and I am still there. And I am glad to be here with you all talking Halloween. And it's going to be fun times. Uh, Bill Shatner masks aplomb, and around us it'll be uh, very fun. We need to warn you, though, dear listener, this is not a review show. It is an analysis show. If you've been living under a rock in terms of the things that are called horror and have not seen the film Halloween... Um, we are going to avoid spoilers for the first third or so of the show in which we give our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then we play our game. Our game uh, play can involve mild spoilers of the film and other films, so just be aware and warned of that. But once we get down to business and do our analysis, and there'll be a business cue uh, there for you all, uh, spoilers are definitely on the table. So you have now been warned. Enough said about that. I think we have the voice of the cinema in studio right now with us, Mr. Arthur Gordon, and he is going to bless us with a synopsis of the film Halloween. On Halloween night of 1963, six-year-old Michael Myers stabbed his sister to death after sitting in a mental hospital for 15 years. Myers escapes and returns to Haddonfield to kill... Yep. yep. Yes. All. All. <laughs> that's the whole movie, right? Returns yeah. okay. to kill. It's a, there's a lot of killing. It goes on. Um. It so does. there you go. It is a slasher film. Um. There is a body count. Um. Did anyone get the actual body count? How many people died? Ooh. Is it a half a dozen? Six. Roughly. That yeah. sounds about right. That's Including it. the dog. Yeah. You <sighs> know. Dog. You know. Evil when they kill animals. That's true. I mean, it's sort of a movie thing. Yeah. But, okay, well, there you go, guys. Now you know sort of what it's about, if you didn't know already, but you want to know what we're about as far as how much we like this film. And so I ask you first, Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you have to say about Halloween in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down, review? This is a seminal piece of filmmaking. If you consider yourself a horror buff or just someone that watches movies in general, you need to watch this movie. However, you can have seminal pieces of filmmaking and re-watching, rewatch them and not particularly care for them, that's totally acceptable. I, I would hold up my contrast as Alien. That movie is a seminal piece of filmmaking. It holds up. I love it. I'd watch it right now. Halloween? Not so much. It, it, it introduces the slasher. It introduces uh, lots of tropes that we're going to talk about on this episode. 
it's crucial to your film literacy for you to see it. Am I going to rewatch it? I don't know. Like probably not. I think that there are some, there are some things that trouble me about this movie and I just, I'm glad I watched it, but I really, it's, it's fine. You need to watch it, but I, I can't really like it any more than I do. Fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. We're going to pause the recording right now, and we're going to go watch Alien. And we're back. And God, Alien was so good. I forgot how awesome that was. I like that movie a lot. There is so much Alien popping out of John Hurt's chest. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so much Sigourney Weaver everywhere. Yes. No, yeah. that movie's so good. Yes, there it is. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you have to say about the film Halloween? Yeah, so Halloween actually uh, was one of my first radar movies I ever saw. Uh, it's uh, going to get a little personal here, but it's the first pair of uh, boobs I ever saw on the screen. Uh, Interesting. Uh, ever. Uh, I have fond memories of my, my next door neighbor uh, coming over. He said, Caleb, you've got to watch this movie <laughs> called Halloween. Sorry, and uh, <laughs> we, we promptly locked my door. Well, I locked my bedroom, locked myself in my bedroom, and we turned the volume way down and would watch it, you know? Because like, my parents to hear that we were watching Halloween because it's a radar movie, which was forbidden in my household. I'm sorry, Caleb. You can just read that a completely different way. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. You and your buddy looking at boobs together. Okay. Hey. I'm hey. sorry, Caleb. Hey. just tickled me. Hey. I was, everyone was like, what, 10? Yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah, like, you know, I mean, you know. first movie, movie boobs, that's like an Bo- important movie. milestone. No, no, it's a big movie boobs, it's a big remember. deal. I, I mean, I don't remember well, either. Well, I it think was it's because, a little different. Because in my household, though. like, like our rated movies were such like, uh, you do not touch Verboten, these, that you yeah. do not, and so he's like, dude, I got this movie you should watch, it's called Halloween, I'm like, oh cool, let's watch it, he's like, what, it's rated R, I'm like, we're gonna do it anyway. Uh, so, you know, watched it, so, at the time though, it was really- I feel like your friend was hitting on you, I don't know, it, just, <laughs> it, it feels very strange the way you're telling the story. <laughs> You didn't have a best friend who you watched movies with? Well, yeah, but it wasn't because of the boobs. Well, that wasn't why we watched it. It just it was a movie that happened to have boobs. Your God. implication, sir, was different. All right. Ah, you perverse piece of garbage. So, we love you, Caleb. Perverse pieces of garbage here. Anyway, trying to share a personal moment with okay, you Okay, no, no. I'm, I'm ready for your personal moment and when you're ready. So, Halloween means a lot to me. Uh, it's, it's this, a is, this is a, a movie that I, I cherish a lot. Uh, I rewatch it not quite every year, but it's one I go back to often. And it is definitely so crucial to horror ever since uh particularly with slasher films it's been mimicked it's been cloned i mean uh jason is is a ripoff uh friday the 13th is a is a ripoff trying to replicate the success and it did, did so uh from halloween even nightmare on elm street to some degree was kind of cashing in on the slasher film so this is super important and it's something that the influence is still felt today and i still think this movie holds up far better than any of the other halloween movies although there are some of the sequels uh that are actually pretty good um, this it, I, what I like about this movie is John Carpenter's use of the camera is genius and it still holds up his, his the way he he knows just when to to, to move the camera and when to ha- cue the music up that, that my favorite shot in the whole movie is when you see Laurie looking at the doorway and you see Michael Myers you know that she the, there's that rack focus on, on her and she or close up of her face and you see Michael laying on the ground in the backwards and slowly as he stands up there's a rack focus and all of a sudden he's he's uh, the thing the point you're like oh my god and of course he looks so much bigger and the music's running so great tension and just really masterful technique of the camera work I, I think so john carpenter's strengths probably one of his strongest films here that said um yeah the the tropes have been done so much since that it almost feel it really does feel like you're going through the motions for the entire film even yeah. though it's entirely revolutionary for itself it, it feels time. stale in exactly the present. Yeah, yeah it does that's fair. 
Um, and there, and another thing too, I know this film was made very quickly on a low budget, but there was some like really weird hiccups. There was like some time like the, and again, I've seen this movie so many times. So of course I'm picking up on little details like this, but the camera would do really like it would shake. It was like it hit a speed bump or something. And then they just kept going on. Like nothing happened. Like they're doing a slow pan out as they're walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden camera. We're like, what did they run out of time to go back and refilm that? And, mm. and I don't know. I've seen this movie way too many times. So gotcha. picking up on those little things is something that, that, you know, is going to happen at some point, but little things like that, uh, really have me thinking, mm, Again, I, I, th- I think I actually air more on the side of Alex. It uh, means a lot to me, but for everyone else, like I don't really... I mean, you watch this because you want to know more about films, not because it's the best horror movie ever, even though I think it's a really it's a really well-done horror movie. And I think, again, the techniques he does there are still better than a, the way a lot of people are doing them today. I just don't know if it's really necessary. Fair enough. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. And as you mentioned about Carpenter's direction, uh, look at everything Howard Hawks made. Uh, He is uh, definitely in love with Hawks, and you see all of that uh, going on in there. And I guess maybe the apotheosis of that moment is his remake of The Thing. Yeah, yeah. And the fact we see The Thing, like, being in the film itself, like, it's very... It's in the text. Yeah, it's, it's Hawksian. Yeah. If you can create an adjective of a name, I sure. guess you can, right? Mm-hmm. Hitchcockian, Hawksian. Right? Yeah, there you go. So it's it's, it's totally that. Uh, and I, I'm with you guys. It is. It does feel stale because the tropes uh, are all being invented, uh, for the most part, from whole cloth uh, with this film. But it is absolutely the tropes that everybody else plays with from this point forward. Yeah. And so there is a certain staleness, it feels, not because of what it is itself, but because of the uh, great number of imitators that followed after. Afterward. Um, otherwise, though, it is it is what it is. I am not a massive slasher fan, although I've seen quite a few of them, um, and it's, so it's it's not necessarily my cup of tea. But it's 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 all right. It is definitely serviceable. It's definitely uh, good for what it is. It's seminal. It's important. It's necessary to be watched. But is it the greatest film of all time? No, it's really really not. Although that score, y'all, that score, so y'all. Oh my god, I, that, that opening on the pumpkin. I forgot I, every time. I forget how long it holds on the pumpkin and it's so it's such a perfect opening mm-hmm. yeah it, it is good stuff so i mean there, there's a lot good to be said about it but it is it, it in some ways if, if it were not so seminal it would be quite disposable i think um and so that's that's all i can really say uh about that so there you go dear listener now you know our biases uh we are um all in agreement of its importance and we are less than thrilled about its quality um is what it sounds like and that's just fine and also dandy i think though now it is time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> this week's game, because of the film Halloween, um, this is a bit of trivia that you may or may not know, dear listener. Uh, the mask worn by one Michael Myers is a uh, sort of a reconditioned version of a William Shatner Captain Kirk mask. Uh, Amazing. Which is hilarious. And so this week's game are famous faces that create terror. That's right. Famous faces that create terror. Brought to you this week by Halloween. Halloween. William Shatner sure is scary at every point in his career. (laughs) (laughs) Facts. Facts. Accurate statement. So there you go. I am excited to hear the selections of my dearest co-hosts. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? What are your frightening visages you'd like to recommend? I mean, there's a few out there. A lot of good ones i got to give a shout-out to. But let's go ahead and just start off. Uh, We've got Doctor Strange coming out next week. So for those of you who are up up on the new date, so you know who's got the most terrifying face in that movie? Tilda Swinton. She's a lovely, beautiful lady. Oh, my God. 
But holy crap, the way like they can the mate when they put makeup on her face, I could just see them going crazy with a mask of her face, right? Just, just think of everything they could do do with it. It's, yeah, it's creepy. I can tell the Dol- Dustin is like strangely confused about his attraction to Tulsa Swinton, though. <laughs> also, <that. laughs> there there is that as well. Uh, yeah, so I, I gotta go with that one. Uh, next one, we gotta go with Adrian. What? Imagine Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. Oh, thank you. He's got a he's got a big chin. Uh, very distinct, and especially at this point in his age, he's got some scar-looking things on his scar-looking wrinkles on his face. Uh, I think if you if you were to take that mold of his face, right, and you turn it into you, you decorate with some Halloween decorations, you could make a pretty scary mask, right? Like a, like a Frankenstein mask almost, really. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you guys think about that. Like like the post-fighting Apollo Creed. I mm. mean, it, or before. Uh, oh no, well, definitely. Oh, ooh, it's oh, even better, even, even like, better. Like when his face Gnarly. looks like pizza. swollen up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like old, so it's like swollen old Sylvester Stallone face mask oh man that's, that's terrifying um nextly i want to go back uh, to one of the stars of american horror story so i want to go with jessica lang uh she is uh she just have, have you seen american horror story guys oh yeah uh, they dress her up in so many different costumes and i just feel like that infinite possibilities to give her like a creepy look a mask halloween mask i think um and lastly none other than shia labeouf <laughs> just because his persona is kind of terrifying and why not he's, he's he's a meme of himself at this point anyway it's that famous song that uh it's being ki- stalked or killed by shia labeouf yes yeah you have the whole stage the music video yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. all right well outstanding mr caleb masters ms alexander bohannon what are your selections i got two words for you donald trump and that's all i have to say oh the very scary what would be the will be the biggest best mask you've ever seen what? Oh, <laughs> the, the jokes. No, uh, it, I. It definitely wouldn't be the best mask. It'd be the scariest mask. Um, you know, I. It's so funny that I think that Donald Trump's company would sell masks of his own face, which is really terrifying. I mean, he he, he is himself the most terrifying thing about pop culture as of right now. Um, the fact that you can Photoshop an image of his face and if you cut out his lips and replace his eyes with lips he makes the same face that's just terrifying oh my gosh yeah i'll oh I'll, ma- I'll show it to you after the show it's great uh and scary but donald I, trump that's it i i've already just watched alien and i'm already kind of in a scared place i'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not quite sure i can handle that exactly Okay, well, thank you very much uh, for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. I do want to do like a, a piggyback pick uh, with that, and that is all the presidents uh, since uh, Nixon. Uh, that uh, you, you can really use, and this is sort of a nod to uh, the original uh, Point Break, in which uh, they use them for uh, these uh, bank robbers use them. But they're they're very scary, you know, in their familiarity and also in uh, the way that they're a little cartoonish uh, in the way that they're designed. But as far as a realistically designed mask, and again, you could just take the negative image of it or paint it white. Uh, I want to mention Rutger Hauer right now, uh, which is sort of a strange pick. Uh, this is, uh, he's a bad guy in Batman Begins. He played Dracula in Dracula... Three, uh, the Wes Craven Presents version. He's also in a lot of great films from the eighties. Uh, he's uh, the he's the lead replicant bad guy in uh, Blade Runner, guys. Oh yeah, yeah. If that helps, that's terrifying face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. I, in Blade Runner, I already had nightmares because of his Blade Runner face. 
alone. Yeah, Jeez. absolutely. And uh, so I'm just going to point out that I think uh, he's, he's, he's sort of famous and sort of familiar, but he's also just uh, strangely designed as a face and I think uh, very, very disturbing. But I think, uh, again, to do a negative image uh, sort of thing like they do with Michael Myers and uh, use uh, a couple of comedians, I think, would be terrifying. Um, Jim Carrey and Rowan Atkinson Ooh. are my last selections. Jim Carrey, for sure. Oof. Yeah, I, I, th- I think... No thanks. You would, yeah, I, I think if you saw that white face uh, looking at you through the trees, through your window, or your laundry, uh, as the case is with Halloween, it would be your worst day ever. You would you would cry down both legs, and uh, so that <laughs> everybody's giving me this like really ugly look. I'm wetting my pants right now. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. So we're going to take a brief moment uh, to hear from our sponsors and for Caleb to change his pants, and uh, we'll be right back uh, here in just a moment. Ready your wands, pre-measure your potions, and get ready for November's enchanting theme, Magical. We've cast a powerful spell to deliver you this 100% exclusive crate featuring bewitching items from Doctor Strange, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and Big Trouble in Little China and more. You have until November 19th at 9pm Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And the cutoff happens, that's it. The magic's over. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash goodtrash and enter code goodtrash to save $3 off any new subscription today. Well, thank you uh, very much for your sponsorship. And also, we want to tell you about how you can have the conversation with us all via those magical means that we all know as social media. So I'm going to go to you first, Alexander Bohannon. Do you know anything about social media means by which the conversation could be held? Sure thing, Dustin. If you want to talk about your uh, Halloween picks for this Shocktober, now that it's basically over, you can talk to us at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. You can talk to us also on Instagram at goodtrashmedia. You can also talk to us at Twitter at good underscore trash. And as always, you can Support us financially at patreon.com forward slash GTM. Very, very good. Thank you for that. We want to have the conversation with you all, dear listener. Guys, it is not about just us talking. We are friends already. We just watched a movie just for no reason at all. Or yes. did we? Uh, I mean, magic, it is Halloween. The magic yeah. of editing. Uh, you'll never know. It's always going to be a secret. But uh, we do like to talk about these things, and we do these things on the internet in order to have a conversation with you. So please, conversate with us if I can create a verb that does not exist. And all words are made up. It's true. I want to throw that out there. Yeah. So, uh, without any further ado, guys, I do believe it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh. It's business. It's business time. That's right, dear listener, and that business in question is analysis, and this is a film that is rife with analyses, and I'm excited to hear what my co-hosts have to say. Caleb Masters, I go to you first, sir. What have you to say? Well, I'm going to go ahead and talk about the holiday itself. Uh, it's Halloween, guys. Uh, October 31st, all Hallows, Hallows Eve in the Christian tradition. It is part of a three-day holiday, uh, starting with Halloween, and then you have All Saints Day. So the third day is All Souls Day. Uh, so that's the Christian tradition. But we're going to go actually back even further and look at the pagan roots. Little Sam Hain uh, for you. There is. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Dustin. Sam uh, uh, Sam Wynn, actually. Oh, well, fair enough. Yes. Uh, so Halloween, um, 
History suggests that the origins of the holiday can be traced back to the ancient Celtic tradition of uh, Samhain. Samhain was a festival that was held on the first and most important of the four quarter days. Uh, it was it marked the end of the harvest and the beginning of what was considered the darker half of the year, and it was believed to be a time of year when the world and other world the other world thinned, with many believing that fairies, specifically fairies, uh, souls and fairies. I, yeah, it was interesting. Northern European fairies, uh, mind you, dear listener, which are terrifying. They, they are terrifying. Uh, they're almost kind of like demons. Uh, but they could easily cross over into our world. Now, it was believed that the dead, uh, also the dead would come back and visit on the night with many families leaving empty seats at the dinner table for their loved ones to return to. Uh, there were often uh, divination rituals like apple bobbing and dream interpretation that were used every year to predict the lives and deaths of the people in the year to come. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Apple bobbing is a divination method? Uh, yes. Go fact, on. Tell- That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So bo- when you bob for apples, guys, you're actually trying to read into your future. Bet you didn't know that. How does that work? So it like depends on if you get the apple. Uh-huh. So right, like so if you if you if you actually get a bite of the apple, it means something, and if you miss it, it means something else. What I know, like knock once for yes, twice for no. I, yeah, so I didn't actually get into the the, the reeds of the ab- apple bobbing, but I know that like if you got it, it actually meant like a good year or something like that going forward. Yeah, interesting. I know. So uh, though, again, pagan rituals, guys. Uh, you bob for apples at Halloween. You're participating in divination rituals from the pagans. Um, so noted as far back as the 16th century, the festival w- included mumming and guising. Mummy and guising rituals where children and other youth would represent the spirits by going home to home and exchanging songs and lyrics for food. Uh, eventually, these youth would turn out to be pranks. Uh, some of these youth would be- begin to get into the pranksterish side. Uh, so, starting to know, know as far back as the 18th century, uh, this led to people carving out pumpkins to ward off the pranksters and scaring them off with the first jack-o'-lanterns hmm. yeah so originally jack-o'-lanterns were meant to scare off pranks to pe- keep people from pranking their house basically um which you know you can see now you know they had the whole old school uh, trick-or-treat your lights are on come in lights are off stay away type of thing now during Samwin, uh it, like i said it was believed that the undead spirits would often come back uh and not just not just visit their families but also wreak uh, often wreak havoc on the living with no mercy now, this is going to bring it back into the film of Halloween, uh, John Carpenter's film. Uh, the original idea behind the film was that this was going to be an anthology series, an anthology series that was going to capture the spirit of Samwin uh, and talk about how evil was coming in this world to wreak havoc on one night. Uh, Carpenter has gone on the record many times stating that he did not want this to become a Michael Myers show, uh, the, the Michael Myers show that it turned out to be. Uh, you can go back and look at uh, Halloween 3 season, The Witch, which is the only Halloween th- uh, film that did not include Michael Myers to kind of evidence to get an idea of the type of standalone stories he wanted to tell. Um, the only problem was that no Michael Myers equaled no money at the box office. So both the first film and Halloween 3 were both inspired by those by Sam Wynn. The films are channeling the idea of, of an evil released into the world for one night only to demand sacrifices, spill the blood of the living, and wreak havoc on the youths. Now the idea of Michael Myers, the idea was that Michael Myers represented the spirit of Sam Wynn uh, as it repeated itself over and over again every Halloween. Uh, and this idea was, you know, articulated actually through Dr. Loomis, who. Every time I watch this, I'm like, he's a little crazier every time. It's just my imagination. I think Donald Pleasance was real life crazy. He was probably a little crazy. But yeah, that character was definitely like, he's evil incarnate. I apparently had very long counseling sessions where he never said anything for 15 years. I'm like, how does that work? Um, But uh, like in the empty table that was left by the Celtic families, Michael Myers returned only once a year to join the, 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 the dinner table 
dinner table of Slaughter at Halloween. Uh, and all of this leads to the perfect storm upon release. Uh, Halloween, uh, I, th- I think, was uh, really encapsulating a lot of the fears of the time. Um, stalkers, night terrors, and people following them and, and killing them in the night back in you know uh, mid to late 1970s, early 80s. It was, it, was a, was a, it was a real fear. So the biggest fear for people at the time, Evil Incarnate, was an unstoppable stalker. Uh, so I really feel like Halloween as it stands was intended to tell the story of uh, and capture the fears and the worst evils of the time. And even though and it's, it's kind of a detriment that we never got to see what a Halloween movie would look like today. If they made a Halloween in 2016, cashing in on Sam Wynn, right? What is the evilest thing that we can think of that we're terrorized with, like in the digital era? So anyway, I just I say all that to say that Halloween, the idea behind the film is actually going further back than just you know a, a slasher, but it's really going all the way back to pagan rituals um, that well, a, lot, a lot of people forget, forget about, quite frankly. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Very, very good. And also it begins to precipitate some of the satanic panic that we'll see in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, where uh, that, those uh, those pagan associations with the holiday itself are sort of, again, brought more to the fore. And uh, then uh, there are this, you know, again, falsely um, assumed threat of, you know, uh, ritual killings and those kind of things. That really didn't happen. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, that is another discussion for another time. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? Well, to bring up one thread of analysis that Caleb was discussing, um, you said, you know, what would this kind of horror anthology series look like today? And I think a great demonstration of that is Black Mirror. I mean, oh, yeah, that, Black I Mirror. mean that's yeah. definitely, it's a BBC series, basically the Twilight Zone set in the digital era. Um, and it has some really powerful and troubling things to say about uh, dependence on technology and our participation as citizens in this digital era. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, so it's, Dustin, it's on, it's, it's like straight up your street, dude. It's on Netflix. Yeah. They just, so the first two seasons have actually been on for a couple of years, but they're all, they Netflix bought the rights to do a new season. The third season just dropped. So they have three seasons on Netflix yeah. right now. And I might've watched five of them as of this recording <laughs> of the six episodes. Oh, okay. I was like five of the three seasons. Oh my <laughs> yes, goodness. Yes, my yes. math. <laughs> but that's a great app. Alex, that's a perfect yeah. recommendation. Yeah. Like I need that. Yeah, so it just it goes to show that um, it, it seems sadly that while John Carpenter was playing off of his um, his kind of contemporaries going back to the Twilight Zone, it just was the world ready for an anthology film series. Yeah, uh, doesn't look like it was because <laughs> of Halloween three. I do wonder because I because uh, so I watched this film having only seen Halloween three. Um, wow. Yeah. Not that. Yeah, this is not that <laughs> very nope. much not that. Um, so having only seen Halloween three, it is really interesting to me that of all of the stories that we were going to take this franchise to make it an anthology st- series, we picked the, that story to like, it seems like if you wanted to make an, a successful anthology series, a, you wouldn't have made a sequel that was directly about Mike Myers. Um, but and B, the fact that like the story is not very interesting or com- compelling. I mean, the the scare factor when you get to the masks in the the third act, oh yeah, terrifying. But the whole premise of it just bonkers, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, Arthur and I actually were fortunate enough to catch a, a, a local screening of that film here recently, and guys, it's actually really terrible. Like yeah. in, the, in the best way possible. Oh, it's, it's actually terrible a lot of fun. in a fun way. It's a fun way, but yeah, you're right. It's not really scary until that third act where you're like, oh, hey, mask stuff. Yeah, but it just is really interesting that they thought that was the story that's, this is going to turn this into an anthology series, which is just like the weakest story ever. It, it's one of those moments where Nick Sanford, a friend of the show, sometimes says they actually had meetings about this and went with that. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's true. Yeah. It's so true. It's so interesting. Uh, but I'm not going to be talking about that today, dear listener, uh, despite spending a few minutes on it. Today, I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, the sexualization of the female in horror films. Yes. Um, because, uh, as we discussed, this is a seminal text. This kind of gets our, our slasher this gets our slasher film genre going, and I know Dustin is going to take this ball. I'm going to toss it to him, and he's going to run with it. Uh, but I, I would why, I would like to highlight for you, just on just watching this film, having never seen it before, the fact that a we get into the tropism of the final girl, the purity uh, aspects that I know uh, Dustin is going to talk about in his analysis. So I'll save that for him. But but the the fact that the female victims in this film are so sexualized to the point of it being extremely troubling and very uncomfortable. Yeah. The fact that we have, so our three main female victims, we have the sister of Michael Myers, whenever he's uh, six years old, then we have uh, friend number one. Um, yeah. So our brunette friend and then our blonde friend, it makes me upset that I can't remember their names because I feel like a bad feminist. Uh, but the fact that all three of these instances, it required, it, it's like almost a beacon. As soon as they became naked, in any sense, it was like a beacon for Michael Myers to appear out of the sky. And it's like, oh, obviously they need to die now. It's the bat signal, really. It's the bat signal. The, the boob signal. The boob signal. The yeah. boob signal. The my boob senses are tingling. My boob senses are tingling. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that is exactly what Michael Myers is thinking about. <laughs> but, but we're laughing because this is uncomfortable, but it's... It's there. It's so there. And it's so weird to see these huge boobs, like giant boobs, covered in all this fake blood. And we're just stab upon stab upon stab. You know, this man is forcibly penetrating these women that are naked. I mean, the text is just screaming out for this kind of analysis. This, The fact that the female is overtly sexualized and our only person who makes it out of this movie is Jamie Lee Curtis. And... And that is saying something very clear about female sexuality, about the female body, that the female body in its naked state is wrong and, and, and complicit to evil. It, it really is, is saying that there, there is a hand in hand. If you get naked, Michael Myers is going to stab you. And, and the, one of the things that was so interesting to me, we have this male victim who just had finished having having sex with his uh, his lady friend, his his blonde vixen, and he goes downstairs and he's completely clothed. But we we let the man be clothed whenever he dies. I mean, yeah, there's still the penetration thing going on, but we are not subjecting him to the same kind of objectification and then covering his his genitals and blood or something you know we're not you know salivating over these boobs that are being mauled because it's so impolite for 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 men to be sexual beings because it's the impolite thing for women to be sexual beings and we must punish them for that and i know uh it just that's one thing that doesn't really endear me to this film. I know it starts the genre and I know it, it, it gets all these tropes in place. The final girl, you know, the purity of the heroine and a lot of stuff Dustin and Kayla were going to talk about too, but it, it just, it sets my teeth on edge and it makes it really hard to enjoy this film. Well, and I think it's fair to say, Alex, I mean, it, yeah, it started a trim, but that doesn't 
mean in a, in a genre that's very popular, but that doesn't mean the trend or the genre or the subgenre isn't inherently misogynist because right. of this film, right? Yeah. Well, uh, let me re- rehabilitate some of the misogyny for this. I mean, again, I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, th- there is this sense of, uh, of being punished for nakedness and sexuality, and I'm going to come back to that. But there is a, a sense in which uh, there is a feminist empowerment to these kind of films by use of the final girl. What we have is a, a male character who uses a phallic shape, uh, the knife, uh, to penetrate, again, uh, many bodies uh, of, of, of many genders. Yeah. And uh, so we, we have that going on. And what ordinarily happens and happens in this film is that we do have Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, penetrating him in retaliation, mm-hmm. uh, sort of taking more of a dominant uh, sort of position and, and, and achieving some sense of victory. So uh, there's a lot of writing about that, uh, sort of the feminism of these films, uh, that, it, it, that there is a sense in which these women do become powerful. And I, I think the better example, again, I mean, mentioning Alien it seems to be the thing today, Sigourney Weaver's uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, arc in that film is a similar sort of thing and of course what's interesting about Ripley as a character is that Ripley was written gender neutral and mm-hmm. then simply just cast because Sigourney Weaver was amazing uh, for the role um, and not Academy Award nominated I might just say and also gorgeous and so oh, yeah. all, all those things work very well together um, but that being said, uh, there is uh, there is there's a little bit of a nuance to mm-hmm. that 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 complicates it. I, I absolutely I totally agree though. It is absolutely this sort of punishment for sexuality, and that is the other side of this Halloween thing that I do want to discuss uh, in terms of. Then part of what I'm doing here with my analysis, I'm sort of just reviewing the scholarship uh, about this film because I, I do think it's, it's important to sort of cover that ground for our listeners because even though we live and breathe in this sort of system of film analysis, we we, we, we sometimes assume knowledge and go for novelty in ways that perhaps, you know, would, would move beyond uh, what, what a person listening for the first time may or may not know. So here you go. Uh, there is, again, the final girl trope, which is created in all slasher films, that there is Nancy, uh, excuse me, uh, Tina, at the, at the end of, uh, of, of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. There's the, uh, the blonde girl uh, whose name escapes me at the end of Friday, uh, Friday the 13th. Uh, did I just say Friday the 13th twice? No, no, no. So Nightmare on Elm Street, then Friday the 13th. Y- yeah, okay. you said that. Okay, I'm, I'm worried about combining my stuff. And and they, they are sort of interchangeable in that way. And uh, they do continue with, again, uh, the this idea of a phallic symbol, Jason's machete, Freddy Krueger's knife fingers, uh, those sort of things. And, and even going all the way back to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, in which, uh, again, uh, there is a, there's a knife used. Uh, and uh, the sexuality of the moment uh, with Janet Lee, who is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, uh, interestingly enough, uh, with her... It's, film has some symmetry to it, and it's, it's so perfect. Isn't it, isn't it wonderful? Yeah. That she begins this moment, and the, the sexuality of that act is very, very much played up all the way back in 1960. And so uh, there is a whole lot of scholarship about the idea of the knife as phallus and penetration and sort of returning to power and those kind of things. But also, back to Alex's point, this idea of uh, punishment. Uh, there is a real Old Testament morality uh, that is heavily enforced in these films. Uh, despite their sort of uh, pagan influence of the idea of Halloween itself as a holiday, uh, horror films, and particularly slasher films, and we've talked about this uh, a time or two on the show in the past, are extraordinarily conservative in their worldview. Um, that if you drink, if you do drugs, if you have sex, you will die. And the one who is able to escape that is the virginal you know, uh, sort of uh, pure, perfect girl, uh, and, and almost always a girl uh, in those sort of films. And and so it, even though it is taking on a, a sort of transgressive tone in terms of content 
and in terms of gore, nudity, language, uh, again, the behaviors of teenagers, which is, you know, pretty typical teenage behavior for the most part, aside from getting murdered a lot. Um, most teen- yeah. I don't, I don't feel like they do that as much, yeah. but, uh, teenagers who look like they're like 35. I add. <laughs> there is, there is that. Although I, I did, and I, I was telling you guys about this off air, my experience watching the film was a little strange, uh, because, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is playing a 17 year old girl, 18 year old girl, and she looks close enough to the part for me. Uh, I, I don't, the other characters do seem a little old. Her friends yeah. seem like they're about 10 years out of high school. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the older sister, like, I, oh, we don't yeah. see her for very long, but we do see some very, uh, large, um, well, yeah, Lots we, of, we, very developed, very <laughs> developed, very. <laughs> like well, I, casting was very particular. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. For, sure, just, for that role. Yeah. Uh, but the weird thing for me was that I saw this film as a young person and was very attracted to Jamie Lee Curtis, who was just a little bit older than me, uh, or playing a character who was just slightly older than me. And I have since aged, and of course, as film does, film does not age. No. And so uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has remained in the time machine, not aging uh, throughout this time. And now she's much younger than me, even though actual Jamie Lee Curtis is not. Uh, and I feel weird being attracted to her now, which, yeah. is, which is very, very strange. Um, anyway, I just want to share that. No, no, it, it's kind of, it, it's a really interesting... Um it's an interesting phenomenon that you you can't really get at any other way. Yeah. Like, like it's it's film and that's it. Well, and, and you're like, well, because you have a crush on the character, you know, right? Uh, who who hasn't aged? Yeah, that's that, that that is strange. But I mean, like it, it makes sense though. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, yeah, it happens all the time. I just so. feel weird about it now because you know having a crush on a 17 year old is not okay for no. a 35 year old. Although it was totally fine when I was 13. Yeah. You know? So uh, that's that's sort of what I'm talking about there. But nonetheless, uh, coming back again to this idea of morality uh, in this film, though, it is uh, that Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers are agents of the wrath of God again. And sin that there is this sort of idea of them being God's judgment and retribution. Uh, there is always a sort of gothic trope towards these films. Uh, Michael Myers again uh, was uh, mentally challenged uh, or uh, mentally ill. We don't know which, and uh, and and so he sort of reacted in this way in the Rob Zombie version, which is much more of a sort of a Michael Myers begins uh, sort of uh, telling of the story. He is much abused and. And saw some very very terrible things, and so his his cause for this action is sort of out of a place of trauma um, there hmm. in that film, and so but he is sort of reenacting those who have traumatized him. Okay, and and, and sort of again sort of getting vengeance. Freddy Krueger clearly getting vengeance for being murdered, uh, despite the fact he was a child killer, uh, which is their sort of way of coding uh, pedophile uh, in 1984, uh, and they they sort of pulled that back because uh, there was a real life uh, a case that came public at that time, and so ah. they. Sort sort of dialed back the pedophilia of it. But he's a child killer, and all the parents gathered up and burned him in a boiler room. And so he's seeking his revenge. Michael Myers is seeking revenge on the camp counselors who sort of ignored him and allowed him to drown. And then uh, eventually someone murders his mother who goes crazy because she was seeking revenge in the same way. Spoilers, sorry, on uh, Friday the 13th. I the think series. spoiler embargo is kind of <laughs> yeah. over on Friday Spoilers the Spoilers for a movie that's over 30 years old. Yeah. yeah. So, But all of those things, again, uh, there's this gothic trope of uh, your past coming back to bite you, but not only just to come back and be revealed, like see the full light of day of this is the thing that you did. Your your The revelation moment is a moment of judgment where you are punished for what you had done. And so uh, that way in which gothicism also reflects the sort of Old Testament uh, justice reciprocity of an event uh, 
this slasher film, uh, Halloween, and all the slasher films in general, uh, very very much tie to a uh, an eye for an eye, again, sort of Levitical understanding of the Old Testament. And so there's a whole lot of that going on there as well. So I think we've given some food for thought. Yeah, on definitely. How, then there's so much more out there. Guys, I, I could not begin to tell you how many think pieces are written on Halloween. Or just scholarly articles. Yeah. I mean, you're the one in your film PhD. So, I mean, I'm sure someone's written a few dissertations about this. There's, there's a, a glut. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot. And, and that's the thing. It is such an influential and important film. It's worth studying. We didn't even talk about the whole franchisization of horror, which begins here with this particular film that sort of starts that whole thing. There's, a, there's an entire realm of commercial studies uh, that, that oh, apply yeah. to this. So again, dear listener, there is so much, and yeah. we are just merely scratching the surface and want to point you in the direction of some good things uh, there. But we come now to a point in our show where we must render a verdict about the film. Uh, shelf for trash, and then recommend our else's or instead's. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. Dear co-host Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Shelf for trash, else, or instead? I say reluctantly shelf it. I'm not going to. Um, I think by virtue of shelf, you should have watched it at least once. Um, I would say else's to pair with it. I mean, alien. I I just can't get off my alien. It's just so good. Like, I I would almost say that that's if you're going to be watching like this such some important text from similar in the era. And I, that's the movie I would much rather watch. Um, I would definitely recommend it to you as a kind of like an alt Halloween pick. Um, other films that you should watch. Um, uh, since you've seen Halloween, you totally can get the references in scream. Now uh, you should definitely go and see the scream. Um, any of the scream franchise um, I've only seen the first. Uh, the others can speak to the quality of the others. Oh, I think they're all great. Okay, all, 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 all of them, them are good. Uh, yeah, all four of them are great. One of them is slightly lesser for me, but yeah. sure. Um, going uh, more into um, meta horror, more on the meta side, you could definitely go watch Cabin in the Woods because that's um, that's another textbook example of this is how this genre works in terms of just like setting up a horror movie and your final girl tropism. And so those would be my picks for uh, recommends for Halloween pairings. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead. Yeah, so I, I do have to say shelf it. It's it's one I didn't like. I didn't love it as much as I thought I would upon rewatch. It's the first time I've watched it in a couple, two or three years. And, and I mean, it's still great. I mean, I think if you're, I do think if you're going to study filmmaking techniques, this is the John Carpenter film you go to. Because, man, just some of the stuff he does is so brilliant and so smart and clever. And just, God, it's so good. Um, to watch along with it, though, you got to go back to Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, which, uh, again, draws a huge inspiration from uh, Halloween, draws huge inspiration from that film. Also, a lot of the techniques, the John, uh, John Carpenter goes a little a lot gorier than Alfred Hitchcock, but there's still some of that similar, that, that mind trickery going on. Halloween, there is blood, but there's not as much as you think there is. Like, there's there's, yeah, a, there's the, a lot of that. The first stabbing scene, you see it through the eyes of the clown mask, and then it, you don't. I, as far as I know, like there is no like knife ever seen penetrating her body. It's just like blood, stabbing noises. Very ah! vicious, very vicious stabbing sound effects too. Yeah. I, I forgot how gruesome they sound. Yeah. Um. Oh man. Oof. Oh. Sorry, oh, I'm just man. trying to. Think. Oh man. <laughs> She's stirring the intestines with a knife. Or Ew. <laughs> you oh. took it there. There's <laughs> so much viscera. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. You know, and then I'd also uh, go ahead and uh, definitely second Alex picks for definitely m- the first scream. Absolutely the first scream. Uh, that movie is riffing on all the things we've talked about today and even the franchise, you know, of, of horror films. Go watch. I would, if you're going to watch one other one, I would actually uh, get up to date and watch Scream 4, which is 
It's still even 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 it's it's four years old, so it's actually getting a little bit behind by how fast things move. But that's another one that's gonna be a little closer to how horror, uh, spoofing and riffing on how horror movies or slasher films are made today versus how they're made in 1996 versus 1978. And lastly, here's an underrated uh, another kind of meta film along the same lines as Scream and Cabin in the Woods that I don't know a lot of if a lot of people saw last year called The Final Girls. Holy smokes, guys! It's so much fun. That's it's, been on my list to watch it, it's for a good. while. Yeah, if you yeah. get a, if you can, if you if you have a chance to watch it before Shocktober ends, uh, I I highly recommend you you check it out. Although today is the last day of Shocktober, so um, and I think it's actually really cheap right now. So it's great. It's it's in a similar vein as Scream, but like these people are actually living in a, in a horror movie. Those would be my picks, Dustin. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. I'm also going to say Shelf based on its influence, uh, although I don't actually own it, and uh, it's not one that I really am itching to own either but it is massively important i i will say this with my shelf recommend i'm saying shelf because you must watch it everyone must watch it if you are into film this is a movie you got to watch i mean that's just all there is to it uh i'm going to recommend uh some anthology horror uh since uh much of what uh, we've already discussed is on target with alien and with psycho and uh yeah i would also mention black christmas that we brought up at the top of the show uh as sort of a progenitor of this film but um there's also there's a film called black sabbath uh which is a mario bava film uh featuring uh boris karloff in his older age and it's a portmanteau of uh, several horror uh things i'd recommend uh the which inc- uh the anthology which includes some bits by ty west uh, called vhs oh yeah uh, which is uh, a lot of fun and then i'm going to mention also um in the theme of halloween itself trick or treat in which oh, yeah. those uh so isolated tales are told uh, in a connected sort of way all occurring on one single um all hallows eve that's one of my favorites to watch every year i totally it's forgot about that good movie yeah i like it a lot and i recommend it very very highly dear listener there you go your syllabus just got longer now guys we got to talk about what's happening next we are done with shocktober and so we are moving into the month of november this episode uh for halloween day of the film halloween is episode 199 which means episode 200 is next and since we began this show we've had a conversation about how we want to keep to good trash which we've done an okay job uh but uh, we, we 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 fully admit that we've we've definitely um gotten above ourselves there's an anti-trash month every year sir yes there yeah. is and, and there's anti-trash hosty picks and you know those we can of... be indulgent just like everyone else absolutely yeah. uh but we you know we, we've definitely tried hard to stick to it but there's been a film that's always come up that we go, oh, it's such a genre film, but it's so artsy. It's too good for us. We've always talked about how it's too good for us. But you know what? When you make 200 episodes of a podcast, ain't no girl too good for you guys. And so we are going to check out Drive. Yes. The guys. Mm. Because, yes, we need some drive in I, our life. I need a scorpion jacket right now. A Stephen Goodman, one of our friends of the Good Trash Genre cast, has one. I know. I know. It's amazing. It, he worked for Halloween. Yeah. So uh, we, we we thank you, dear listener, for your listenership. Uh, 199 episodes into this. I cannot believe this ship has gone sailing this long and this far. I'm very happy to be doing episode 199 uh, with Caleb and Alex, our two newest members, uh, just because uh, this transition, this is not what we expected, and we're here. And we'll talk more about sort of where we've been and where we're going a bit next show, I'm sure. But in the meantime, guys, watch a movie and have a conversation. That is why we've done this 100 
199 times. Uh, 199 plus times. If you That's count amazing. All the spinoffs and bonuses. Madness. And, oh, yeah. If you count all the bonuses and stuff like that. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're clearing, my God. Yeah. Uh, we don't, well, I don't want to talk about it because then I think about how much of my life I've wasted. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. But, uh, no, not wasted. But you know what I mean. Uh, what I, what, what the thing is, though, it, these conversations are important and they're worthwhile and they make watching the movie so much more fun because if all it is is just you staring at a white wall, uh, bright screen in a black room and eating some popcorn, it's not worthwhile. But the conversation, guys, is what makes it worthwhile. So keep watching. We'll keep talking. And we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.